You're listening to the Boss Yourself First podcast, Season 2, Episode 3. If you want to be an effective leader, the first person you want to lead effectively is yourself. Self-leadership helps you create better relationships and a more fulfilling life, and in turn, lead others in a more authentic and impactful way. If this piques your interest, then stick around. I'm Robin White, your host, and this is Boss Yourself First. Let's get that going. Let's get our script back up. Here we go. Starting over. All right. Welcome, everyone. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day. We've had some snow, which we're really grateful for. We need the the moisture to not have another rough fire season. And I hope wherever you are, you're doing well too. So this is episode three of our second season of the Boss Yourself First podcast. And we're talking about how self-leaders deal with constraint. We're spending the whole season on it. Last week, we talked about the stages of processing constraint, and this week, we're going to talk about how to move between those stages. So before we do that, I have a question for you. Have you ever been relying on your Maps app to get someplace, and then there's a turn immediately followed by another turn? Yeah, that happened to me last week in Boulder, and uh, I missed the second turn and wound up on the Boulder Turnpike, which was not the direction I wanted to go. Got it turned around, it all worked out fine, and fortunately I have come to know Boulder pretty well, so I really wasn't too disoriented. But have you ever not made the second turn, and suddenly you're lost? And of course, your Maps app will start recalculating, but the few seconds, or sometimes even moments... While it's doing that, we're a little disoriented, heading who knows where. This is a little bit like being confronted with a constraint. Suddenly, your regular route is disrupted, and you have to figure out a new path to get where you want to go. You have to be really clear where you want to go, and you have to really want to get there, and you have to be willing to work harder than you originally intended to figure out that new path to get the result you want. Well, this season, as I said, we're talking about constraint, which we're defining as a limitation or defining parameter imposed by outside circumstances or by ourselves that can stimulate creativity and innovation. Now, did you catch the end of that? It's a really positive definition because when you're saying it's a limit or parameter, yes, but it's supposed to help move you forward. It's supposed to create new ideas, and new problem solving. Well, like I said, we talked about the stages of processing constraint last week, and today we're talking about the currency of processing that constraint. What do we have to spend to move from one stage onto the next? Before we get there, though, I need to talk about what keeps us in that victim stage. Remember, that was the first stage. There was victim, neutralizer, and transformer, And what keeps us in that victim stage? What it is, is habitual thinking. Or as the book for this season, which is called A Beautiful Constraint, they call this path dependence. Now I want to preface this with saying anytime a constraint is encountered, 
we have this period of disorientation, like with the Maps app and the few minutes that our route is recalculating. We're a little bit disoriented. Things have changed, and depending on the severity of the constraint, we're a little shocked. But once that shock dissipates or lessens, we sometimes stay in the victim stage because our ways of thinking and doing no longer yield the results we want. In the book, which I mentioned before, A Beautiful Constraint, the authors, Barden and Morgan, tell us a story to explain path dependence. And I wanted to share this here because I really enjoyed this story. It made sense to me, and I didn't know it before reading the book. So uh, you may or may not. I hope you like it. But the story begins talking about the required dimensions for the fuel engines of the original space shuttle. The engine's dimensions couldn't exceed four feet eight and a half inches. And that wasn't because the designers believed that would be the best size for the fuel burn or efficiency or aerodynamics, but because that is the width of the rail line that would transport the engines from Utah to Florida. And here's where the story gets really fun. Why is the rail line four feet, eight and a half inches? Well, that's because the workers who built that railroad largely came from England. And their predecessors, who had built the rail lines in England, made them along paths made by horses pulling carts that fit those dimensions. And those carts were made to fit the dimensions of the original road that was there. That was the suitable size to fit the widths of roads first built by the Romans. So, the modern technology was built to suit a path designed and built over 2,000 years earlier. Path dependence. I love that story because it's such a great example of having created a habit based on a past constraint and past desires, but not the current ones. When explaining path dependence, Barden and Morgan say that today's approaches are in effect yesterday's approaches, based on what was appropriate then, not necessarily now. They're not simply processes, but paths made of self-reinforcing bundles of belief, assumptions, and behaviors whose nature and underlying rationality may no longer be visible, and they're rarely questioned. How many of us actually stop and question our habits? This is path dependence. Why they started and why we still do them when we're actually in a rut in our thinking. If you've ever tried to break a habit, you know how entrenched they can be. I mean, I wonder how many people, all those engineers who worked on the space shuttle, really knew why those dimensions were there and where they had originated from. So here's an example of a habit that I established for a constraint that's no longer important. And one I'm still trying to break, by the way. So my children range in ages over a span of nine years. So we spent a significant amount of time in the car, traveling from one sibling's activity or another. And my constraint was that all the kids had to go with me if any of their siblings had an activity at least for a while, until the, the oldest one got old enough to take care of herself or watch a younger sibling. So, so there was a time period where this was a real constraint. Another constraint was that there was often the matter of picking up from one activity and heading straight for the next one. So how could I work with these constraints and still keep the kids energized and healthy and happy? 
Well, one of my habits that I established uh, to deal with this was packing a plastic box of snacks. I would restock it once a week, but I kept it in the car because we needed them for quick turnarounds or long waits in the car. Additionally, and I bet a lot of you parents out there do this, I also made sure to have fruit snacks and beef jerky or chocolate in my uh, purse. It's just handy if you wind up someplace with a fussy kid, but I don't want you to be deceived. I would snack right along with them. After all, they didn't want to hang out with a fussy mom either. (laughs) And there's the rub. My children are pretty much grown and no longer rely on me to get them from place to place, but for some reason, I still take snacks with me if I'm going somewhere. And I'm not talking about packing snacks for a road trip. That's totally legit. But I want to break the habit of just snacking in the car. When I developed the habit... I had a helpful and legitimate reason to be armed with food at all times, but that constraint of keeping my kids energized, healthy, and happy is no longer there. Yet the habit remains. I just am a little bit stuck. I need to think differently. Yes, I also want to be happy, healthy, and energized, but I don't think I need chocolate and beef jerky to do it. At least not every time I'm in the car, anyway. To quote Barden and Morgan again, they say that the most significant and disabling constraint we face may not be the external ones, but the internal ones that determine how open-minded and flexible we are in our problem-solving ability. I need to change the way that I think about my time in the car and about my food needs. (laughs) My car snacking may not be the most relevant example for you, But I just wanted to give you an idea of how to apply and recognize path dependence. So if being open-minded and flexible is what enables us to process constraint, how do we get open-minded and flexible? Now remember I told you we were going to focus on the currency of processing constraint. So let me ask you this. Do you ever stop and ask yourself what's going right? Isn't that a crazy thought? Now, I realize that some of you may already have this as a practice, but more often than not, I find myself laying my head on my pillow and thinking either about what went wrong in the day or what I need to do for the next day to avoid things going wrong tomorrow. I get it that our brains are wired to perceive and focus on threats, things that are wrong or could be wrong. But what if we change the question to what's going right? It changes the things we're noticing to the things we did well, the things worth celebrating. It's amazing the difference a question can make, and questions are the currency we must utilize to move from victim to neutralizer to transformer and make constraint beautiful. Now, questions and I have a good relationship. Questions are a coach's foundational tool, and we use them to create awareness. And as a self-leadership coach, I support my clients in cultivating questions into their self-talk. Not self-doubting kinds of questions, but learning and exploring kinds of questions. The kind that create open and flexible thinking. Marilee Adams, in one of my favorite books called Change Your Question, Change Your Life, It's one I often send to my clients. Marilee's book is a teaching story, and in it she creates a mentor named Joseph. And the man he's mentoring writes in the book, Joseph introduced me to question thinking, or QT, as he calls the skills he taught me. QT opened up a part of my mind that otherwise I might never have discovered. 
Like everyone else, I believed the way to fix a problem was to look for the right answers. Instead, Joseph showed me that the best way to solve a problem is to first come up with a better question. Let that sink in and apply it to processing constraint. We need to first focus on asking a better question that takes into account our constraint. How do you start asking questions that can move you through the process? I'm giving you my translation of the four areas that Barden and Morgan recommend. The first area is to question your assumptions. What assumptions cause me to take my current approach and which of them are no longer valid with the new constraint? Then question your routines and systems. What routines or systems do I currently have in place that may no longer be needed or could be adjusted with the new constraint? The third area is to question your resources. What do I already have that could be used differently? What resources could I create access to that could help me function with the new constraint? And the last area is question what success looks like. What will let me know if I'm successful? I want to take each of these questions and apply them in an example of my friend who owns a cafe in, in the town where I live. Now normally her cafe is busy from open to close. They have a lovely large dining area inside and a small patio and usually there are lines out the door especially for breakfast. They normally have people dine in and then they also have a certain amount of their customers who just stop by and grab takeout. They have coffee and all kinds of tea and, and breakfast items. So the question here, remember the very first question, is what are the assumptions that support my current approach? For my friend, it, it could have been, I assume that people will come to eat in my cafe if I have great food, great space, and great service. Those were assumptions that worked well for her until the new constraint came along, that new constraint being the pandemic. So in asking questions about dealing with that new constraint, she would next say, what about my assumptions may no longer be valid based on this new constraint? How can they change or adjust? For my friend, her new assumptions needed to be something like people need supplies, like eggs and milk and veggies. People want coffee and tea. People will drive up curbside to get what they want, and people want goods delivered to them. And those all still worked within the new constraint. So then, that next section, what routines do I currently have in place that no longer are needed or could be adjusted to work within the new constraint? So for my friend, she employed people to bake, mix drinks, clear tables, wash up, and serve clients. And she still needed people baking, but the cleaning and serving customers could be adjusted because there was no indoor dining. Those employees could shift to delivering food to locals and local businesses. And some of her employees could, instead of taking in-person orders, help develop and implement online ordering for curbside pickup. So the next question, the third question is, what do I already have? So we're talking about our resources. What do I already have that could be used differently? What resources could I create access to that could help me function with new constraints? Well, my friend had suppliers already bringing her produce, but no in-house diners to eat it. She decided she could sell grocery packs. Instead of selling baked goods in her store, she created online menus with curbside pickup and delivery options. 
and she had her staff develop kits for coffee and cocktails and cookie kits for families to decorate cookies at home. And then the last question, which I think is really important, is probably my favorite one. What will let me know if I'm successful? My friend decided that she would consider her cafe a success with the constraint of the pandemic if she could keep her employees and make payments on her space. I don't want you to misunderstand. All the solutions to dealing with your current constraint may not present themselves with these questions. But remember, that's not actually our goal. We're not looking for solutions yet. We're just trying to create open-minded and flexible thinking. And we're just warming up our question thinking because next week, we're going to bring out the heavy artillery of questions. So my challenge for you this week is to practice open-minded and flexible thinking. And to help you with that, I want to turn back for just a few minutes to fully inspire you and equip you to work on that question thinking. Remember I mentioned Marilee Adams' work? Marilee writes that with our questions, we make the world. Questions open our minds, they open our hearts, they open our eyes. With our questions, we learn, connect, and create. And in case the four questions that we talked about earlier are a little too much for you to take on right now, try this when you face a challenge this week. Ask yourself, what assumptions am I making? And then, how else can I think about this? These are questions that Marilee recommends, and I think they're a great place to start to practice opening our minds and creating flexibility. Give it a try. Just those two questions. What assumptions am I making? How can I think differently about this? How else can I think about it? Give it a try and let me know how it goes. I would love to hear from you. Uh, You can reach me at bossyourselffirst.com. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram. I hope you'll try it. I hope you'll connect and let me know how it's going. And I hope you're finding value in the work we're doing here. So until next time, everyone, take care. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you found something to grab hold of and apply in your life. As always, any link or information mentioned in this episode can be found at bossyourselffirst.com in the podcast section. And if we haven't connected yet, and I would love to, DM me on Instagram at bossyourselffirst or come to the Boss Yourself First Facebook page and let me know how you're doing and what you think. I would really love to meet you. Thanks for being here and being you. Now get out there and lead with courage and kindness and boss yourself first and add your amazingness to the world. We sure need it. Talk to you soon, my friends.